Welcome to the Colby Cast, episode 18. In today's conversation, we are joined by Charlie Mihaliak. I had the pleasure of being Charlie's teacher beginning in the first summer of Colby's online academy and lasting nearly his entire high school career. Before going on to the University of Dallas, Charlie delivered a most memorable student address at Colby's 2018 graduation in Atlanta. Meeting Charlie and the other students at the event stands out to me as one of the most surreal moments of my life. He recounts his own reflection of that day in this conversation and many other things besides. Enjoy the show. Hi there, I'm Bonnie, Colby homeschooling mom, liturgical musician, podcast fanatic, heavy library user, and Colby parent ambassador. I have two lads and two lasses. The youngest is in fifth grade, the eldest is in 10th, and this is our fourth year homeschooling with Colby. And I'm Hope, Bonnie's younger sister and a Colby alumna in a phase of life after being a student, but before becoming a parent. I studied communication theory and philosophy in college, then I went to law school. Now I'm an attorney, an avid home cook, and the fun aunt to Bonnie's kids. And I'm Jordan. I teach Greek and Latin and serve as the languages advisor for Colby Academy. I completed my graduate studies in Germany before returning to the States to educate my kids at home. A few goats, a handful of chickens, and even a couple guinea fowls later, we just may be on our way. And it's good to see you again, Charlie. It's been a long time. What are you, a junior now? Or? Yeah, junior. I was telling them before you, uh, before you got in that uh, it, was, it was interesting seeing your name pop up in my school email. That doesn't happen in a while. It kind of brought me right back to Latin assignments. I was like, oh, no, there's something I forgot. <laughs> yeah, I hope, it, I hope it didn't scare you. You've got you probably got enough going on as it is, right? Yeah. And it's been a it's been a while since we talked. Maybe the last time was was shortly after your high school graduation. But so I'm not even sure what what's your major that you're doing. And, and by the way, you're at University of Dallas, if I remember right. And so can yeah. you talk a little bit about what you're doing there? Yeah, for sure. Uh, when I, I think you're you're right. The last time I remember us speaking was in uh, Atlanta for the in-person graduation that we did, which was really fun. Uh, but yeah, after that, after that summer, I decided to go to University of Dallas. Um, in 2018, that was my freshman year. When I first went to University of Dallas, I went in as a business major, and I stayed a business major for about a year and I would say probably a quarter because in our sophomore year at the University of Dallas, we get to go on a study abroad program to Rome. And uh, I remember talking to some of my friends, the friends that I made while I was on that semester abroad, kind of about what they were doing, a lot of politics majors, uh, a lot of English majors, things of that nature, not a ton of business majors, but kind of by virtue of being being able to travel through Europe, the classes I was taking, the things we were learning, uh, I started to drift a little bit farther away from business and more towards a passion of mine, which has been theater. So when I got back to Irving campus, I had a meeting with uh, my business advisor, and then I had a meeting with the chair of the drama department. And I'd been involved in the drama, uh, like their productions, their main stages and studios earlier, like in early freshman year, but I decided to kind of take the leap and become a drama major. So for the last year, I guess, yeah, but I guess it's been about a year, I've been a drama major with a business minor. So that's what I'm doing at Dallas right now. That you can bring your two disciplines together like that. It's a strange like combination of interests, or at least not, not many people do that combination. So that's been uh, 
trying to describe it to people, especially when it comes to like what I want to do afterward. It yeah. seems like a lot of the Colby graduates who we talk to, and I've seen this in my own life, like we, we like to combine things, like you said, that seem like they're separate or, or what, but like the pragmatism. It's funny, I, I attribute a lot of that kind of split interest to Colby, actually, because one, one of the things I was able to do with Colby was uh, not only was it like getting a really good classical education because of uh, Colby's curriculum, but it allowed me to kind of do things in my own time frame. So I had extra time to focus on extracurriculars, more kind of pragmatic things. Um, yeah. So it did kind of send me into college with like kind of that, uh, I don't really know the left brain versus right brain, but definitely kind of that pragmatic, but also the love of um, the love of the fine arts and things like that, uh, which has been interesting to try and figure out what I want to do after college. That's kind of the question that I've been wrestling with a little bit now. Um, it's one of those things I, I've, I've felt very strongly that I want to go into something uh, in production, in creative production, whether that's with uh, a company in the entertainment industry, somewhere where I can I can combine the two things that I feel I'm best at, which is kind of organizing and kind of implementing plans or like organizing logistics and then also kind of the more creative things. So yeah, it's it's hard question to answer. I think that's one that as best I can tell, I'm going to be answering probably up until the day I graduate. Uh, but right now, it's I'm leaning towards something in the arts, um, something in production. Man, it's it's interesting here. You both talk about that. I, I always kind of felt the same thing. And I think you played sports. I think I remember you played rugby and stuff in mm -hmm. high school. And I was I was the same way where I, I played music and all that. And but I was also like an athlete in, in a way. And um. I, I remember I called, I don't know if you know the Jim Rome show, but Jim Rome, I don't even know if he's still on the radio, but he was a, he's a sports guy. He had a national thing on Fox Sports. And I called it one time because he had a musician on there who was a big sports fan. And basically I was wanting like, do other people feel this way when they're, when they're with their artistic friends? Feels like almost a betrayal of your of your your sports teammate friends, you know, and and vice versa. You're not sure which one you you fit into totally. Um, I don't know. Did you have those kind of feelings at all, like back in high school when you were playing sports, and then all because you were doing theater, you were in a band, if I remember right. So, yeah, um, I yeah, I think the short answer is is definitely. I definitely did, and I think it it was something that extended kind of. I think by nature by like the nature of being homeschooled kind of what that entails is that you don't have that automatic community around you of people um like you would in a regular like a traditional high school where you're just with the same people every day by virtue of just going to the same establishment with them colby it provided an online community of people that i felt close with which was awesome because when we got to do the in-person graduation um after four years i was able to meet all these people that i felt like i knew so well from um, talking online or on the phone but yeah, I think it was for me in high school, it was just all, it was a balance because I was, I was really active with athletics. I was in a rugby team uh, for five years of high school. Um, and then I was also doing a lot of music stuff at a local uh, music college. I was doing that. I was, uh, for a little while, I was working as an actor. I was in a couple um, professional productions senior year of high school. And then I was from the age of like 14, I was playing at restaurants and bars. I was playing music for them. So, I mean, it was, it was a balancing act. That's like when I described my high school kind of friend group, 
uh, I always talk about it in terms of like there being almost five separate groups, like the athletes and then the actors and then the musicians and then my fellow homeschoolers and then my Colby friends. And they kind of, um, and then on top of that, then you obviously have your family, but it's a, it's a massive balancing act. And it was, uh, I think it was helpful to learn, to learn how to manage different friend groups. Because when you go to college, what I, something I learned after about a year in college is that it's, um, it's a lot like what high school was. You have people of varying with varying interests and you want to be friends with as many people as possible. And I think kind of what, what prepared me for having a lot of friends in college was the fact that I was able to learn how to diversify friend groups and also manage different friend groups in high school. So then when it came to college, it was just, it almost made everything that I had learned in high school uh, a lot easier because now I had all these skills. Um, and then it was just the people that I was around, I was around them every single day by virtue of going to the same school. So it, it made that a lot easier. It was my experience and sounds like it may have been your experience too, Charlie, that in moving around different friend groups, it almost is helpful in that you don't define yourself just by one group then. Like, who are you? Well, I'm a soccer player. Or who are you? Well, I'm I'm an actor. And so what you're talking about with the diversified friend groups and being able to move among them is you can kind of draw a lot of the the good and the the benefits from each of the groups, but not get so tunnel vision on them that that becomes your one thing. Yeah, it, it really forces you to kind of out when you do, when you don't have the ability to identify yourself with a specific group. Uh, it really kind of it forces you to look inward, and this is I guess this is a pretty um, thoughtful way of looking at it. But when you don't, when you can't say I'm an athlete or I'm an actor or I'm a musician, you kind of are forced to say um, like or look at yourself and ask like, what am I, who I am I, how do I identify? Um, what do I want people to know me as? I think it's a matter of wearing different hats and seeing kind of what fits and what sticks, but it does kind of force you to be, become very much like an individual. And I think you'll see that, like, honestly, I see that a lot in the, uh, the other people that I meet at school that were homeschooled, like, because we have a, a large group of people that would go to UD were homeschooled. And you're usually able to tell when people were because there's such a strong sense of individuality when you're around them because you're right, like they didn't identify themselves by anything in particular, unless it was they identified themselves as a homeschooler and that was it. And then that becomes very obvious. It's a good thing point. I noticed that uh, all of you guys, each of you has a very strong sense of self. Yeah, I was going to, Charlie, I was going to uh, bring up that time in Atlanta when we met up because I, I think yours was the the group. The, when I first came back, I don't remember. I, I don't think I had moved back. We were just home for the summer from Germany. So I hadn't met any of my students. And it was amazing meeting you guys like for the first time, seeing everybody in person. Um, can you talk about what that was like for you? Like, for, did you recognize people right away? Did you how did how was that? Was there any awkwardness, anything that needed to get broken through or how was it? Um. I don't even know where to start with that day. All, all I can say is I, I'm I'm not joking or or just saying this. I we when we got back, we were we it was like we flew in. My brother, my dad, and I all flew into Atlanta in the morning. Went to the graduation, went to the dinner, and then flew out that night. And I remember like my most distinct memory because it kind of was a little bit of a blur. But my most distinct memory from the graduation um, day was getting back on the plane, um, flying out of Atlanta back to Connecticut. And telling my dad, just like profusely thanking my dad for 
for taking me to the graduation because it was the best memory from my four years of high school. Because it, it was like you, I felt so close to everyone that I've been doing school with. Um, and there was like a camaraderie that you felt online because these are the same people. You read the same books, passed the same tests or hopefully passed the same tests. You did all these things and you kind of went through this, this mutual experience like you would in a regular high school, but you were never able to kind of be around the people. So when I remember when we first, when we first showed up and we were all getting ready, we were kind of getting our, our graduation robes on. Um, and slowly, like one by one, we'd see people like walk through the door that we'd known and that we'd been talking to for five years, but we'd never seen. And I think what like what stood out to me the most was that it was it was just so natural. There was no awkwardness at all. It was just it was like meeting. It was like uh, I'm trying to think of a, a something that was like I think the closest thing was just if if it was a friend that you hadn't seen in a really long time, but you but you had missed very much. And they just kind of walked through and we just immediately fell into easy conversation. And honestly, I still I still talk to the people that I went to high school with now. I would like I'd, we we all stay in touch, whether it's over social media or texting each other. We're all very much in touch. And the, the way you describe it is exactly right. I, I remember. So we're going to have to um, put some things in the show notes from from this day because it was it was really cool in Charlie's speech. So you made a speech that that still like everybody still remembers. It's it was fantastic. So I I don't know if we have the audio, but we for sure have the text. Um, and so so people should read that. It, it's it's applicable anytime you were ever homeschooled. It was an awesome awesome speech. I did a, a speech that day too, and I was getting I was I couldn't make it through it. I never get emotional like that, but I I was getting so emotional that. It was like I couldn't even get through the speech because you're right here. We're all of a sudden it, it, it's almost like it's because you describe it like and then so and so walks through the door and you recognize them and everybody recognized each other in a new way. And the, the only other thing that could be like that is like in heaven or something like when you picture seeing somebody again, you know, that you've known in this one realm, in this one way, yet you know them really well. And that is how it felt. And it, I mean, I'm getting chills talking about it again because it was it was such a cool event. And um, especially for me, that first one, because I hadn't been in the U.S. and like I never met any of you guys. And then to just meet everybody at once. And um, yeah, I, I think that's so great that you guys are staying in contact and all of that. I mean, it's it's funny. It's just it's just it's a it's a group of people that I'm never going to forget. And I, it's, I've only spent one day with most of them, but you just never forget them because they were a huge part of, of my high school. Like these are the people I'd study with, even if it was virtually. Um, and they they were like a big part of me kind of growing up and maturing. And they were one of my, one of my friend groups that I had in high school. That's so encouraging to hear the sense of of connection that you guys developed virtually because I think in the pandemic like we can't see the people who we usually see in person and so we see them online and it feels like there's something missing and we're like grasping for that connection how can we maintain this relationship but then it's almost the opposite where you had never been in person together but you formed that that really authentic connection that then comes from the virtual into the personified. It's like, yeah, we, we studied online. And then when we did finally get to meet in person, we picked up just where we left off. That That's really cool. 
Yeah, I think that's kind of the the million dollar question that everyone's trying to answer right now is how you how do you maintain and like foster relationships when you can't see a person or you can't be with them in person when you have to do it virtually. Because I think it's a lot of it's because of the pandemic, but um, now obviously, but I think that if you can figure out how to do that, there's like a whole new world that's opened up to you. And I know it's it's something I had to do early on from like seventh and eighth grade with uh, my friends from Colby, and it's it's extended whether it's been through like long distance relationships or thanks to like the COVID it's just kind of um, it's something that it's kind of a very, it's an integral part of how we stay connected with our, our friends now. And I think you, it can either be something that's very beneficial or it can be something that's very detrimental if uh, used it in the wrong ways. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. I don't, I don't claim to be an expert on how to use technology to keep relationships or foster growth in relationships, but uh it's certainly been interesting to see like what's been happening the last few months. So yeah. your brother, you got it. Your brother is still at Colby now. Um, has, has he said, uh, has he said anything recently interesting about things happening at Colby? John is a, uh, you know, the John, John is something. I see it's hard. You put me in a tough position because you're asking me to, you're asking me to talk about my little brother and not uh, trash on my little brother a little bit, which I feel obligated to do as the older brother. Um, <laughs> what can I say about John? You, you know, I think he did, he's a little bit impassable. When I asked John how, how like school is going, cause he's also a dancer. So I asked him about how dance is going. I always get the same answer, which is it's good. You know, just it's going, it's good. It's fine. And then it's, it's kind of all I get from him, but I mean, that's, I, I think that's a good thing. It sounds like he's happy. I know he's excited to, um, he's excited to graduate. He's really putting a lot of work this semester from what he's been telling me and from what I hear from my parents is he's working hard. So I, I just, I remember my, my senior year with Colby is it's tough. It's the, the interesting thing about Colby is that it's not when you, when you try to explain it to like your friends that are homeschooled that aren't in Colby and you try to explain what you do, or even when you explain it to your friends that are in um, public school, it's kind of like you, I feel like a lot of the time the knee jerk reaction is like, Oh, if you're in online school, it can't possibly be as challenging as, a private school in person or even like a public school in person. I think that's just kind of the, the stereotype right now. At least that's what I got the sense of when I was um, in high school, but it really is. I just remember it being very, very challenging, a very rewarding, but a very challenging curriculum. And I think honestly, I think the biggest testament to that is the fact that for a lot of the university of Dallas's core curriculum that they're teaching freshmen and sophomore in college, um, I've read all the books thanks to Colby because we pretty much read through all the same great books, went through a, a curriculum that was close to as rigorous when it came to English classes or literature classes, especially language courses. So yeah, I mean, I'm sorry to get back to it, to answer your question, I think John's doing fine. I remember when in my senior year of high school, I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have a good way of phrasing how I was doing. I was just trying to get it, make it from one assignment to the next, stay, stay afloat until May when we graduated. In a couple of weeks we're filming an episode with three current 10th graders looking back at your your 10th grade self what would you say to them what would I say to them um I mean fr practically I would just say um start taking better notes in your classes even if you're even if you're taking good notes now spend some summer learning how to take better notes because those are going to save you um I don't know what would I say to what would I say to I think I think I would honestly I would tell them to, to really focus on, on what you're reading, um, especially in like the English classes and uh, 
the language courses, I think those, those are my biggest takeaways are just kind of, cause what you get, what Colby offers in my mind, um, one of the things that offers that very few other places can offer is a really kind of like um, in-depth, precise uh, and holistic uh, learning of the great books. And kind of, it gives you an appreciation for things that a lot of other academic institutions wouldn't give you early on in your education in high school. Um, I think I'd say that. And then I think I'd say, uh, I'd say also make sure that like the time that you're spending outside of, outside of class and homework, um, make sure you're, you're doing something where you're developing a skill or, or multiple skills that you can like apply later in life. I know for me, that was, um, that was studying music, studying acting. So those are things I got scholarship money for. I'd just say, drink it all in and work hard, play hard. I think that's what I'd say. I don't know if you remember this, Dr. Almazar. I was, I was thinking about, was it the summer between ninth and 10th grade that you offered the summer course on the Hunger Games? Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yep. I was thinking about that. I was saying, you know, it's funny that that came up because I was talking to one of my, uh, I was talking to one of my friends about the Hunger Games because I've maintained a, a fierce and passionate love for the Hunger Games ever since that summer course. <laughs> but I remember talking to them and they were like, how do you know so much about the, this, this series of books? Like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, well, actually I took an eight week summer class on it. And I was able to go in and talk about how Katniss may or may not be a Christ-like figure, all these things. I don't know. It's, just, it's That's a fun memory from high school when I think that, back about it. That's awesome, man. Because I, I had forgotten about that, that you were in that that course. And that was, I, I had never read The Hunger Games. And it, that was designed by Miss Finnegan, who is now Mrs. Finnegan. She, yeah. Uh, yeah. So she had set the whole thing up, wasn't able to teach it um, at the, in the end. But I thought it was such a brilliant idea for a course. And I was the brand new guy. I just started working for Colby. And they asked if I could do it. And I'm like, yeah, I'll do anything, anything anything you want. <laughs> so I taught that course and it was through our talking that things came to light. I think you guys had read the books even more in depth than I had, but I tried to put together a few things and it was amazing coming to some conclusions. I remember in class coming to some conclusions where I I can't remember we 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 came to the the, the realization one of the characters what would have Christ done if if he was in that character's shoes and it was like he wouldn't have saved somebody else by by sacrificing someone else he would have sacrificed himself to save this person and we hadn't even thought of that but it came out in the class um while we were talking and and um that was you and I, I was living in Napa I've moved probably 20 times since then um but that's that's a great memory to have I, I would teach from my little back porch and I remember and, that you had you're sitting on your back porch and the sun would slowly be setting in Napa Valley and I'd be yeah. watching it on the webcam wow you know what, what I think my biggest takeaway from that class uh, was and this was something that I, I realized later on it wasn't something I realized then um but what that kind of showed me is that because we read so many great books in the Colby curriculum um that sometimes it's easy to get get lost in those and kind of stay away from like the more contemporary literature. But even with something, I know Hunger Games probably gets a bad rap for a number of reasons from a lot of people. It's just, it's, it's easy reading. It's not that hard to read. But what that class kind of showed me is that if you, if you look for it and if you stay open-minded, you can kind of find these nuggets of, of truth and you can find it honestly, you can find a through line that takes you from books like the Iliad or the Odyssey and kind of the same kind of themes, the same, the same 
human problems that have kind of made their way over the thousands of years to when the Hunger Games were written. And, and it, it kind of, it synthesized a lot of literature now looking back because you kind of realize we're just, everyone's trying to like answer these, these big questions. And some books were written in Greek thousands of years ago, and some of them were written in English in the 2000s. But um, there's, if you, if you look hard enough in good literature, there will be truth that you can find, or there will be questions that are being attacked that are worthwhile. It's neat to hear you guys reminiscing about that summer course. It sounds like a lot of good came from that. It was. I think that's amazing that you discover that like so early and probably in looking back on that experience too, more of that's developed. Um, my, and I probably mentioned in my classes before with you, but my favorite, uh, the, the guy that I, that I read the most and he informs most of my approach to things is Rene Girard, who's a Catholic um, uh, writer. And he, he, that's exactly what he did for me. So I share that experience in that he he caused it to where, you know, you could be reading the Odyssey and uh, the way that you can see common themes in there that are applied to like what you see in, in the media, in the election, in a, in a sporting event, in popular literature and all of that stuff. It's like it it is addressing the real problems of uh, or the real things that real humans um, engage with. And a lot of people have never read a book at all. You know, I, I, yeah. I know people who haven't read a book in the past year or they, and they almost even brag about it. So the, the, the fact that, uh, you were able to take those experiences that from high school, I mean, that was at, you said after ninth grade year, all the way into college studies, I think is, is really awesome. Well, it's, I think it's, you, I, first of all, I think you're totally right. I agree with everything you said. I think the reason it's kind of stayed with me is because now it feels, especially because I'm doing so much acting, because I'm a drama major, when when I'm preparing for a role or I'm looking at a script or you're looking at a text of any kind, you kind of have to look at it and you have to identify those problems. You have to identify what the different characters are, are struggling with. And when it comes to putting on a, a play or acting in a show, that that question becomes even more amplified because then then it's uh, like one of my teachers always talks about theater as three dimensional poem analysis. You take a script and then you you get inside of it and you try to bring it to life and you try to ha give these characters three dimensions so that other people can watch and they can they can watch this story and they can watch these problems and questions unfold in front of them and see things from a different perspective. But that requires actors to kind of to grapple with with big questions. Um, and like grapple with these things that you see in Hunger Games or in the Odyssey, these same human questions that we come back to. So I, mean, I was, this is just recently, I think you guys are probably like the fourth people I've recommended this to. But since we're talking about books that we recently read, um, I was reading through actors' biographies. I'm always fascinated with um, biographies of actors and musicians because it's like, the, it's the, the paths are so unconventional when, when they look back on their lives. But Recently, Matthew McConaughey released uh, an autobiography of kind of like the first 55, 60 years of his life. And I just finished reading it a couple of days ago. But um, it was like you, you see it again there. And I think what's interesting about the biographies is that you you see like you can read about like these human problems in, in like in books and in fiction. And then when you read about it in a biography of a human, you see them, especially with him. It was like he was struggling with a lot of the same things he talked about 
was that like when he would choose roles, he would choose to play characters and choose to get roles in movies um, where characters were going through things similar to what he was experiencing, kind of the same, struggling with the same questions or going through the same struggles or living through the same wonderful moments. Like he talks about when he was doing kind of all the, like the romantic comedies that he did when he was in his late twenties, early thirties, that was kind of where he was in real life too. He was just kind of very happy, very content and very willing to kind of go on with that. So yeah, I mean, if, if you're looking for any light reading, that's a, I would, I would look that one up. No, I, I think that's interesting what you're saying, looking at these biographies, because I've, I've found it actors to me, I'm fascinated by actors that are, that are really good in the same way that I'm fascinated by artists who can paint, who can draw. It's cause I'm, terrible at that i can relate to it on some level because i can write music and poetry but i i see the a skill that i don't have at all but i like to listen sometimes to um interviews with actors and things like that and i was listening to these old interviews with marlon brando like over the summer which i thought was really fascinating because he sort of like rejected his his acting abilities, all of that. I mean, he did a lot of like really wild stuff. You wouldn't picture. It's like he rose to the top and then he did, he just said it's none of it's worth it, that kind of thing, because he's in the position where he can say something like that. But his thing that stuck with me a lot was he was saying everyone's an actor. You're acting right now. You're at, he was telling um, um, what's his name? Um, I don't know. Whoever was interviewing him, he was telling him you're acting right now. I'm acting when I say, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, this kind of thing. Um, how does, I mean, so it sounds like you're, you're, you've got a lot of theory, I guess, in a way behind the acting. How does that play out like in life then? Um, that's a really, I mean, that's a really interesting question. I think that uh, with me, the reason I, the reason I got into acting was, um, and it was the same reason I got into music. I felt like growing up, I, I never really felt, this is gonna kind of sound like the same sob story of every every actor ever, but I, did, I didn't really feel like I had a good place. I didn't feel like I had a really good, strong identity with a group of friends. I just kind of felt out, out of place. So I kind of turned to acting because it gave me an opportunity to jump into the skin of someone that did feel like they were in a place where they had a really strong identity or a really close group of friends. Or um, even on the other side, it gave me the opportunity to realize that there were other people that felt out of place. See, like that was kind of, I found solace in acting um, in like high school and that's how, that's how I got into it. And then in college, when it comes to like how it interacts with my real life in college, that kind of changed because I felt like I'd found a really strong group of friends. I was studying things I felt passionately about and then acting became more of a way for me to understand what was happening in my life. The last main stage that we did at University of Dallas, we wrapped it up a couple of weeks ago. Um, it was Love's Labor's Lost, a Shakespeare play. And, and I was playing the character of Barone. He's kind of the leading man who he swears off women and promises to study and fast for three years in a row because fasting and studying philosophy is the highest is the highest. Uh, the highest ideal of a, of a good mind. Um, but he does that and, and days after making this oath, like swearing this oath to not spend any time with women and to study and to fast and to pray for three years, he meets the girl of his dreams. Um, and she just sweeps him off of his feet. 
And it, what happens in Love's Labor's Lost is you see Barone kind of struggling with this question of like, I, I made this oath to study and because I need to grow up. I made this oath to study philosophy and pray and fast because I realize I'm young and I'm immature and I'm not ready for like a true romance. I'm not ready for true love. But I'm also with this woman that I think is the one. And it's really touching at the end of the play. There's this beautiful scene between Barone um, and Rosalind, the girl that he fell for. And in this scene, Rosalind kind of gives him the hard truth, which is that she tells him, she's, she says, Brown, I'm paraphrasing Shakespeare here, but she says, Brown, you need to spend a year going to hospitals and making people in hospitals that are dying. You need to go and make them laugh. You need to bring joy in several days. And if you do that for a year, you can come back and then we'll start to date, perhaps get married. And there's kind of this beautiful moment where you where you get to have Barone, he's looking into Rosalind's eyes and he's trying to process this, this kind of idea that he needs to take some time and he needs to grow up before he's ready um, to be with Rosalind. And I think in a lot of ways, uh, just, I know I've kind of um, gone off on a bit of a tangent, but when it comes to relating acting to real life, I looked at the character of Barone and I, I look at him and I'd say, I think, what what about Barone is similar to what I'm living now? Because I want to be able to live this truthfully. And and the best way I know how to do that is by finding the truth in Barone's life um, and correlating that with the truth in my life. And I think when you go to college, I think it's, it's an opportunity to grow up and mature in a lot of ways. Um, but I think the what I what I've learned from being in college for three years is that college does its best work and being in a university during these years does its best work when you come in acknowledging the fact that you need to grow up and that there's things that you're deficient in, whether it's maturity, whether it's knowledge, any of those things. But you kind of need to you need to have the maturity to take a moment and say, you know what, I'm going to commit myself to studying. I'm going to commit myself to maturing. I'm going to do charitable works. I'm going to go to hospitals. I'm going to make those people laugh. I'm going to I'm going to really push myself to explore new things and then after these four years, if I still love the things that I loved at the end of high school, then I'll come back to them and that will be what I'm meant to do. But I think it's, I think it honestly, it just comes back to like finding the truth in your character that you're playing or the story that you're trying to tell and, and correlating that with the truth that you're trying to live out in your own life. Yeah. I don't, so I know, I know that was a lot. If I, if I start talking about things like this, I just, I could, I could talk about it forever. No, that was, that was awesome. That was awesome. I, I think that's super, super. See, that's exactly why I listen to, to interviews and things with actors. It's like I'm trying to get in their head of of how they can do this thing that, that I feel like I can't do at all. And um, but it's like this association. Then it's like you have to associate to something that's real. And and then you have to like almost do you, do you ever feel like you have to convince yourself to believe it in a way like you've got to find something solid enough because the association you make there with college i think is brilliant it, it sounds totally accurate even when you make that association though if it's not a strong enough one do you have to convince yourself is it like or or does it just fit if i if i feel the need to convince myself of something when i'm trying to act then i'm not digging deep enough because at least from what I've from what I've learned in acting, and I, I, it's a small body of work up till now. When it comes to playing a character or grappling with the storyline, no matter how distant it feels from my life, if you kind of keep breaking these things down, um, like farther and farther, you eventually find some level where it um, 
where it does coincide with your life. Cause, uh, cause I think there's what I'm like, what we were talking about with hunger games. I think there's, you keep coming back to the same problems. Humans kind of like by virtue of our, our shared fallen nature, we're always struggling with the same things and those problems or, or issues that we're struggling with or the, the virtues or like those beautiful moments. If you like, they, they display themselves in different ways. Um, but if you kind of keep digging, you'll eventually get down to the same roots. They all come from the same thing where they just kind of show themselves through different symptoms. So I usually find that when I'm, if I need to try, if I need to like force myself to like convince myself of something about the character that I'm trying to play, it usually means either I've been lazy about researching my character or I've been lazy about grappling with the text or um, honestly, more often, it's just that need to be playing is something that is I'm deeply uncomfortable about myself. And it's kind of, cause it's, it's those things when you, when you find a character that says something or struggles with something similar to what you are, those are always the hardest to play because you're, you're forced to kind of take your own insecurities and act them out on a stage and kind of, you, you are forced to give a voice to them and give a life to them. And a lot of the times that's where the best performances come from, but that's where the greatest courage is necessary in acting. Man, that, that is that's really awesome. And it's applicable in a lot of different ways, I think, in, in life. Um, and it, and some of it is this like spade work to to get to the get to the root of the thing. And I like how you say you keep digging. It's like you can recognize from the outside this what's an authentic association and what isn't. I really appreciate the authenticity, your willingness to research. And to do that spade work, to borrow that term, and to recognize that there are these areas of growth that need tending. It also brought to mind the, the thought that comes up a lot when we think about reading fiction that parallels our life experiences in a way and being able to process or deal with or face any particular circumstance. It seems to kind of parallel the way you're describing approaching your roles in a way that you can find some connection with your own life that can help you in your own experience. Yeah, no, I think that's very, I think it's very accurate. When they, uh, I think it was Aristotle when he was talking about theaters, he talks about it as um, the opportunity for a, a catharsis of fear and pity, which which means that you kind of, when you watch a, a, a work of theater, it'll arouse something inside of you. And usually that is fear or it's pity for someone. And the, the catharsis element of that is that while theater arouses those emotions, it also gives you the opportunity to get healing from those because everyone feels that that's, those are two very natural human emotions. And I think it comes through uh, works of literature and poetry too. It's just kind of, we're all trying to figure out, we're all trying to come to grips with our nature as humans and kind of the fallen nature and different things work for different people. I know I've found mine through music and theater, but I think a lot of people find it in English. I think a lot of people, you can find it in a variety of ways. Also, some people just don't, they don't feel a particular need to kind of dive deeply into those questions. And they feel like they've figured out. I think it's, I think that's, what's so interesting about it is that there's, there's a, a million different ways to kind of deal with our own uh, reality and our own humanity. I think it just so happens. I think for you, it's, it's reading. And then for me, it's acting and music. To enter into yeah. dealing with it though. That's big. <laughs> mm-hmm. If I could, I, I feel like I have a better answer for the, what I would say to a 10th grader, um, in Colby now, now that I've thought about it a little bit more, I think for me, something that I was really scared of when I was, uh, 
in high school is I, I had these kind of big visions and big goals when it came to music or it came to acting or really anything. I was just very, I very much like had dreams and plans that I wanted to achieve. And I, I think what I would say is that if you're, if you're a 10th grader and you're in Colby and you kind of feel like you have these plans or you have these visions and you don't really see it because if you're a student studying at Colby Academy, you are kind of an outlier when it comes to just about any sort of like uh, <laughs> any sort of demographic, you're just an outlier. But what I would say is if you're, if you're in 10th grade in Colby and you have a plan, if you want to be a singer, you want to be an actor, you want to do something in business, you want to do something in law. Um, what helps me out the most then and what I wish I had done more of is I would, I would go and find people that have done or are at a place now where you would like to be one day and, and read about them, read their biography. In the last, in the last four years, I've, I've read so many books about people that I respect or, or, or famous singers or famous actors or business people, um, where it's just, you, you find out if they're where, where you want to be eventually read a biography and try and trace back from where they are now, try and trace it back to where you are today and figure out if your path would align with that. And if it does, then just start following that line as best you can. But I think that's what I would say to uh, if you see something that you want, read about how to get there because it's all going to begin with the books. You certainly are a great example and role model for them to look to as they are continuing through their Colby education. That's that's very evident from us. It's been really a, a pleasure visiting with you and we will be certainly keeping an eye out for your work to come. There's going to be another play that I was working in um, called Long Christmas Dinner that comes out next week. I can send you the links to those if you want to include those in the show notes too. That'd be great. Mary, our mother, pray for us. St. Maximilian Colby, pray for us. Ad maiorem Dei Gloriam.